morning, everyone. Uh, I'm reading First Chronicles, uh, chapter 29, verses 10 to 14. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That was a short clip taken from the Generosity Project. And if you are provoked to find out more about what it means to be generous and who our generous God is in our current series, just for two weeks we're looking at generosity, um, check out the Generosity Project. I have a question for you, though. Um, If I was to ask you to name one of God's attributes, what's a a characteristic of God um, that comes to mind when you think of who God is, what would you say? Loving, excellent, it's rhetorical, but thank you, loving, holy, just, kind. Maybe you'd say wrathful or sovereign. But what about generous? Would generous even make the top ten if I was to ask you to write them down? It's, but generosity isn't something we immediately think of when describing God. But isn't it wonderful that God is generous? I think um, the click is not plugged in at, at your end, Sharon. I can't seem to click. So how would you define generosity? How would you define generosity? Two-week series called Gospel Generosity. This week, we're going to look at that God is generous. But how would you define Generosity. Um, think about it. I won't tell you the answer. We'll come back to it at the end and see if what you thought is what we've come up with together. This week, as I said, is all about God. Next week is all about us. And next week, we're going to talk about time, talents, treasures. But we're doing that secondly, so we see them in the context of God's character. And that's really key when we think about generosity. So today, we're going to take some time to just pause and listen, and reflect on what the Bible says, the claim that it makes, that everything is built on the generosity of a loving God. That everything is built on the generosity of a loving God. Interesting that we value generosity in our culture today. Very highly, in fact, we celebrate it. Um, But we find it hard to do. There is a club that exists in the world... um, called the Giving Pledge Club. There's a front page of their website for you. 220 members. The requirement to get in this club is you have to have US $1 billion of personal wealth. And the aim of this club is committing to giving away the vast majority of that, the wealth you have to social issues before you die. 
If you go into this club, you'll meet the likes of Warren Buffett and David Sainsbury, Bill and Melinda Gates and Mark Zuckerberg. They're hugely influential, actually, in the world, in the world of medical research and food sustainability and education. These these philanthropists, 220 of them, have given away billions and billions to these causes. And part of us, when we hear this, thinks, well, of course they should. They're rich. Then we think of ourselves when we talk about generosity. I can't. I don't have enough. Not at this stage of life. Other pressing needs are there. Things are tight. Maybe later. As I said, you can only enter the giving pledge when you have a cool $1 billion lying around. Um, but you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? He is a generosity plan for us too. And he doesn't ask you to have a billion dollars in the bank to enter his generosity plan for the world. His generosity plan all begins with our hearts. Because everything's built on the generosity of a loving God. So let's listen today and think uh, about what God says about generosity. And then in response to that, let's live in joyful praise to our generous God. So let's listen first of all to what God says. And we saw that in our Bible reading in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 to 14. Not a a passage I'm sure you'd naturally navigate to uh, in your Bible reading time but some really key ideas about who our generous God is. Uh, by way of background, because sitting we're just jumping into the middle of the Old Testament, uh, David is the one who writes this particular part. It's a song. It's a, a song of praise to God. And he does that because earlier in 1 Chronicles, he wants to build God a house. He realizes that actually, for all of his time, God has been living in a tent amongst his people. And David says, that's not right. I should build God a temple to live in. And God's Generous reply to that is, I'm not too bothered actually where I live. The whole earth's mine anyway, so a tent or a stone building is not that big a deal. But I appreciate what you're trying to do. Oh, and moreover, you're, you won't do it. Actually, your son Solomon is the one that's going to build the temple. But what David does is he gathers the resources for this building project. He donates from the kingdom, he's king, so he gives some of the resources to this, but also he dips his hand into his own personal wealth uh, in 1 Chronicles 29, 3 and 5 as well to give to this cause. You can see a picture of the temple in the middle of it, the the yellow is gold actually, a very fancy place that Solomon ended up building a few years later. Then after David gives, he says, hey team, would you like to donate to this temple building project as well? And it blows his mind. Because the people overflow with a wealth of generosity. It says they gift thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in gold and silver and bronze and iron, as well as any precious stones they had just lying around. They gave freely. They gave willingly. They gave joyfully. Verse 9 says the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for their whole heart They had offered freely to the Lord. And the King David also rejoiced greatly as well. He saw their generosity and he said, Team, I'm so, that's amazing. Wow. Then in verse 10, at the very start, it says, David began to praise God in the presence of the whole assembly. So everyone's gathered, they've just given. And David looks around and he starts to praise God. And what does he say? He says, God, you're big, you're beyond. And it all belongs to you. 
That's verse 10, 11. He says, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. He, he doesn't, first of all, praise the people. He thanks them in verse 9, but he, he praises God. Moreover, he addresses God as Lord. This is three times in these four verses, David says, Lord. Once in verse 10, twice in verse 11. And Lord refers to Yahweh, that's the personal relational name of God. It's the God they're in relationship with through the covenant. He's praising the one whom they already know. Because you can only praise God when you know God. He says, thank you. The God that we have a relationship with, you are so wonderful. Praise you. And he goes on to then praise God for who he is and what he has just done in the hearts of his people. Look at verse 11. He says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Yours is, this belongs to God. Something wonderful, something in the nature of God is worth praising right here. And what does he say belongs to God? Yours is greatness and power and glory, and majesty, and splendor. That's who God is. And from that God comes and sustains all things. Verse 12, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. This is remarkable. I mean, consider David as he says this. He's, he, David, I'm David, and you're all the people that are given. And what is David doing as he praises? He looks out and he says, he's looking at the rubies and the gold on the floor. He's looking at the people. He's looking at the 43 muscles in every mouth as they're smiling at him. He's looking at the grass and the birds and the copper coins. He's breathing the air. He's feeling the sun ray travel eight minutes and 20 seconds to land on his face to warm him up. He's Praising God who dwells in the heavenly realms, complete with seraphim and cherubim and angels surrounding him. And he says, everything is yours. Isn't that staggering? We say things like, my family or my house, my bank account, it's my job, they're my children. And in a very true and real sense, they are they exist in your realm and they belong to you. They're the fruit of your endeavors a lot of the time, right? But at the same time, they're not yours. I mean, your children aren't really yours. Your house isn't really yours. Money isn't really yours, right? The Bible declares it's actually God's. But more than just saying God is the owner, it says God is the leader, God is the head. You are the head over all things. G.K. Chesterton, a famous British thinker in the turn of the century, once said these famous words. He's had lots of famous words, actually, but particularly used today. Is He said, you say grace before meals, but I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching or painting or swimming or fencing or boxing or walking or playing or dancing and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Grace is way of saying thank you to God. He's saying, if I was to be him today, I say grace before power play. 
I say grace when I see my children dance ballet. I say grace when I open a bottle of great wine. I say grace when I watch the V8s. Or before I watch something on Netflix. Or when I go out for Saturday morning brunch. I say grace when I pull out my phone. You see, David here isn't saying, mine, mine, mine. He's saying, yours, 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 which leads him to say, grace, grace, grace. Look at verse 12 and 13 particularly. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And and this verse, particularly out of all of them, one of the hardest two things that David lists that we acknowledge belong to God. Two of the hardest human desires that we'd ever imagine submitting to God's rule or imagining that under his rule, and that's wealth and honor. But they're part of the all things that God owns, you see. They come from his very hand. Recall that they've just given their wealth to honor God. David doesn't take credit. I'm your king, by the way, team. I did it all. I, I prompted you. Without me, you couldn't have given. He doesn't do that. It was never about his reputation or status in asking the people to give. Not even in his reputation as a king to build God a temple. He recognizes that all comes from God's hand. And isn't that remarkable? Even the ability to work comes from God. It's strength and power to all. But you might say, well, I was the one that worked 10 hours on the building side or behind my desk and I, I, I had to make sure the deals happened and I thought through that and I put the paper, pen to paper and the hand to the keyboard and I applied for the job and isn't it my strength and my power who's doing all that? Well, of course it is. But, but the Bible's asking us to look further and say, well, who gave me the mind and the sinews and the muscle? It, it, it's your ingenuity for the idea, but it traces back to God. It's your creative brilliance, but it's only your reflection of the one who created everything out of nothing. You and me have been given a world full of God-given raw materials to work with. Yet God had nothing raw when he worked. We simply reflect the image of God when we design, create, work, build, make a spreadsheet, make something look pretty, aesthetically pleasing, or have a nice balanced budget. After all, we're the generous recipients of God's generosity. Isn't that amazing? And then in verse 13, David pauses and takes a breath and he draws everything to a point. He says, now, our God, just thinking on who you are for a moment, now our God, we give you thanks and praise for your glorious name. Because of this true reflection, now, because of this true reflection, I'm going to praise you, but... Notice what happened at this point in David's prayer. How does he address God this time? Is it Lord? It's God. Prior, he was saying, Lord, we're in this relationship with the wonderful God who's given us everything. Now he says a Hebrew word called Elohim, and it's simply the the powerful name of God now. He, He says, this is God as the ruler, as the judge, the almighty one who accomplishes all things. You, this is, I'm thinking of you. You're the one I'm in relationship with as Lord, but you're also the all powerful one. And I'm going to praise that one because he sustains and he provides out of his very character. And that's true, true generosity. 
And then all of this has an effect on David. Because in verse 14, it's almost like he's just a loss for words where he says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from your hand. We've given you only what comes from your hand. David recognizes something really important that we forget at times. He says, God, you're the hero of generosity, not me. Do you see? Their own generosity just reflects God's hand to them, not their hand to God. Imagine the wonder of this, this, the joy at this moment. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that gave all my money away joyfully, you know, that gave up all my rubies and gems and gold and just gave it up willingly. You know, I mean, how does that happen in someone, in the people, in David? Because the paradigm's flipped in the Christian story. Christianity says, by the saving grace of God, I now get to give. I get to be generous like God's generous, you see? It's like Mother's Day soon, 16th of May, and this week my kids said to Natasha, coming from school, oh, Mum, there's a Mother's Day stall at school. Can we have some money to buy you a present on Mother's Day? And so Natasha's sure, and so she goes on the school website and she logs in and, and there's $5 for the two kids at school and, and she does the admin work and pays the bill and then says to them, now, I've given you $5 to each buy me a gift on Mother's Day from the Mother's Day stall. And um, they say, great, that's wonderful. And off they go thinking that they're so generous and kind because they're buying mum a gift. But you know that you're smiling because you realize that mum's done all the work. Mum earned the $5, $10, and, and mum did all the admin work. And mum, you know, did the, and they're just getting to then give back. But it's all hers anyway, right? It's like that with us and God. Because everything comes from you, God, and we've given only what comes from your hand, you see? The Bible is showing us, the Bible is showing us that creation is just an expression of God's generous love. That God is the host. And that we're the guests in his world full of abundance. Can you see that God is a generous God, that everything comes, everything in this whole world is built from the love of a generous God? That's what the Bible wants to show us about God's generosity. And so, we've listened to what the Bible has said, but the answer to that, the joyful response that we should have this morning is, let's live in joyful praise as God's people. You know, like David, we should joyfully praise our glorious God for all he's provided, echoing the words of verse 13, which says, Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I mean, after all, hasn't God been so generous to us? But of course, we're very far along from David's time when he prayed this. We're not asking you to uh, give rubies and sapphires and iron ore to build a temple. Why? Why? Well, the true temple has already come. The true presence of our generous God has now been fully seen and realized and located in Jesus the Christ. And today, we're, we're about building the kingdom of God. In the past, in David's time, the temple mattered as a witness to the world 
of where the true generous God was located, who his people were. It was the temple was the link between divine and human. Where they met, they conversed. Then in Jesus, the divine and the human meet together in a human, in a person, in the God-man. And then he says to us, you are now my dwelling place on earth. And that as we live, we're like a mini walking temple, mediating humanity and God wherever we go to anyone we meet. But we respond in the same way that David did of this joyful praise to our incredibly generous God. To say it another way, Christians are called to live generously in response, in response to the incredible generosity of God and to be part of a radically generous church where we encourage each other to live that way too. At the start, I said, how would you define generosity? What, what came to your mind when I said that? Well, I think the answer is, from what we've seen, is to generosity is to give abundantly beyond any expectation or obligation. To give abundantly beyond any expectation or obligation. God creates and sustains simply because of who he is. Out of his love and character. We don't deserve or earn. God is not obliged or forced. So living in response to God's generosity is delighting in all he's made. The writer of Ecclesiastes noted for us many years ago that there is God-given pleasure in work and food and drink. The Psalms are filled with glorious praise for God, who He is, what He has made for His generosity. The biblical pattern is God gives and we take. God gives and we say thank you. God gives, we take. God gives and we say thank you. To live in joyful praise is simply, truly, saying thank you to God. Will you stop and say thank you to God? Because I don't want to stain this beautiful picture of God we've been painting this morning, but I can't help think that you hear of the biblical picture of generosity, of who God is, and you can't be stunned at times by the gap that exists. Stunned between how many churches and people don't live that way today. You know, we, we often talk for, in churches, typically you talk about giving. Once a year, the budget comes around and we want to make them black, so we, we put a positive spin on it. But something's missing. Sometimes it doesn't really echo David's great moment of praise that we saw today of the generosity of the people, is it? Because the problem, I think, is that we're just not lost in wonder and praise of giving it all away to our generous God. There's two reasons, I think. One of them is just a practical one. A quote I read this week from a sociologist said that I don't think many people in the West feel wealthy. They don't feel wealthy. You, you and me don't feel wealthy, and so we don't feel like we have much to give. There's a scarce, scarcity mindset that needs to be confronted, and we saw it front and center at Perth yes, in Perth yesterday when the lockdown happened, when everyone panic buys. But the deeper, lasting, systemic reason why is exactly what our generous God has come to address and continues to address with us, you see. He continues to show his generosity, not only giving good things from his hand, but in the ultimate, ultimate act of generosity, how God gave us himself. 
God's goodness and generosity is seen most clearly in Jesus. He lived for you, he died for you, and in doing so fills the generosity gap that exists between the glorious God and our own struggle to be generous. The inward trend of our heart is always to sin and self. But the good news about God's generosity is a way to be lifted out of spiritual poverty and into spiritual riches was for Jesus to get out of his spiritual riches and into spiritual poverty, you see. One pastor once said this famously, where does Jesus belong? Well, in heaven, of course, surrounded by angels, being praised, but where does he end up? On earth, surrounded by enemies, jeering at him, and he did that out of love for you and for me. What a generous God we have, who would give all of himself for us, and that changes everything. This means, do you understand, that every Christian is now part of God's generosity pledge in the world. Not having a billion dollars, just Jesus, you see. So I wonder, as we go into our weeks, think through, how will God's generosity to you cause you to, cause you to say thank you to him? And that's one of the hardest things to do, to stop and say thank you. But I do wonder how God's generosity to you and me will cause us to say thank you to him this week. Let's pray together. Our great, generous God, we praise you because strength and power and majesty and glory come from you. And that you, your hand holds all things, that you are the head of everything and everything we have comes from you. And as your people, we want to stop and say thank you. Father, we acknowledge that our hearts are not generous in our thoughts <laughs> to even say thank you. But we're so thankful, Lord, that you didn't leave us in our sin and selfishness and stinginess, but that Jesus became spiritually poor to make us rich in you. That he, he left the glorious realm of heaven where he belongs and was nailed to a cross, surrounded by people yelling and cursing him. Also that you and me, everyone here, can know there is a generous God who fixes that gap. Lord, thank you that you're generous in creation, in our own lives. We praise your name. Amen.